You're listening to Spaghetti and Freddy, a podcast hosted by Blasto and Yoli, in which we discuss both Spaghetti Westerns and the Nightmare on Elm Street film series. This is episode five, and we'll be talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly from 1966, directed by Sergio Leone. Okay, I started, there's been a lot of talk in the Discord about Shaw Brothers, and I have a friend who years ago mentioned, oh, some Shaw Brothers films are on one of the streaming services, and it's just been a big gap in my uh, movie knowledge, so. Yeah, I'm I'm not even totally sure, like, I've seen some of the chatter, but I'm kind of like, what is that? Are those filmmakers? Like, I don't really know if you want to fill me in. I'll attempt to. I didn't. I did very little research, but what I what little I know is there was. You know how there's Warner Brothers. Yeah. Just as a studio, oh, there's yeah. also also the Shaw Brothers, oh. and the logo is kind of similar. Even they were a few years after I think Warner Brothers, but okay. so so it's a studio more or less. Sure. Um, were they real people? Yeah, probably. But I think it's more or less just things that fall underneath their their label. You know. Yeah, that type of idea. Um, with that being said, I'm watching the Five Deadly Venoms because it was recommended by someone, and uh, it fits into the criteria of what I thought their films are, which is uh, kung fu films and or martial arts films. And uh, but I guess apparently they have more genres than just that. So apparently they have a Shaw Brothers style of horror and bunch of other genres so so i need to explore it but the box set that's out i believe i believe is mainly the martial arts so but so far i love it i'm about an hour in okay. so give me a week and i'll be an expert on everything <laughs> related to them but as of now i just kind of want to blind just to see like i'm I'm going to watch a movie and see if i like a movie right, right and i'm about an hour in and i'm like yeah this is checking the boxes of what i want from a martial arts film so but at first, I was like, oh, they're doing cheesy cuts to get around actually doing anything like yeah, yeah. real martial arts. And then I realized in one of the scenes, I'm like, OK, this is actually incredibly impressive. Like this is one shot that they're able to do these things in. So okay. and it was just a guy doing these really, really high kicks, which now I'm realizing he was probably on wires. So never mind. I'm not <laughs> impressed. But uh, what about you? What have you been watching? Oh, I for, I forgot to prepare for this, so I yeah, that's <laughs> fine. Quickly going to my letterbox. You you're the editor, so <laughs> uh, I've been watching a lot of stuff for other podcasts. Actually, <laughs> mm. uh, this week I watched "Don't Go in the House," which Bat and oh. Spider Pod is covering. How was it? It wasn't my favorite. It it had some good elements to it for sure, but it was like mm. 82 minutes or something, and it it, mm. it felt like a long 82 minutes. Oh I think, uh, no, that is not good. The first half of the flick takes place in this like grubby old house with like the main character doing a lot of monologue, and it just kind of got old for me. But then in the back mm. half, they kind of had some other uh, other locations, so that was good. That was a saving grace. 
Um, don't go in the house. More like don't go in the theater. Yeah, or, and lots am, of cool fireplay. Right? So that was good. Uh, what else? Oh, I watched uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off for the movie mixtape pod. Sure. And Dirty Dancing for the 70 millimeter pod. And that's one of my favorites that I used to always watch with my sister growing up. So I was, that was like, as soon as I heard they were covering it, I was like, yes. <laughs> did you have the time of your life? I did. Oh my good. gosh. Good. It was a fun rewatch. It'd been a little while. So I haven't seen that since I was a kid, but my mom watched it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So. And uh, did you vote for your favorite um, John Hughes film? I did. I did. I voted for Pretty in Pink. And it was tough because oh. I was like, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. Like, those are both two of my all-time favorites. But, I, you know, I love Ducky Dale. What can I say? <laughs> I easily was able to put in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Um, but, no, I watch it every year at Thanksgiving. It's a Thanksgiving movie. And uh, yeah, it's one of those ones, too, that I think a lot of people don't realize is John Hughes. It's so obvious if you know that it's John Hughes. But that one's actually a bit of a blind spot for me. I feel like I remember oh, like a couple of vague snippets from maybe just being on TV. I should I should seek that one out and give it a you, give it a whirl. You should. My brother actually had never seen it till like last year, and then his fiance had him watch it, and now he's in love with it. So okay. maybe maybe there's something genetic, but I'm I doesn't didn't matter that I would like constantly let him borrow it. He never watched it. So. <laughs> Isn't that just how it goes? Yeah. So, but I'm just happy he now saw the light and enjoys it. So. Right, right. It's so good. I mean, John Candy, Steve Martin, but Steve Martin playing the straight man. It's, it's good. It's really good. I think, uh, speaking of 70 millimeter, they did an episode on it back around, well, I guess it was last Thanksgiving as like a surprise yeah, and cool. I couldn't access it easily. It wasn't on any free mm. streaming and I think my library did not have a copy. So I listened to the episode, gotcha. but I still haven't seen the movie. So I got to make sure, got to put that on my watch list. So then check that out. I guarantee I have at least, at least one extra copy. <laughs> so I, I, I could just mail you a copy just so you have it. So I... I think I have all of John Hughes movies now, though. I think there even, are a few. Even of... Curly Sue. <laughs> okay, I don't have Curly Sue. I knew that was one of his, but I don't have that. Yeah. No, you know what? I don't have. Um, uh, why is the name escaping me? The one with uh, Al Bundy, which I like a lot. I don't think it's out in Blu-ray. I'm not sure what you're referring to. Ed O'Neill. Uh, yep, is Ed O'Neill's in it. A John in Hughes movie. Yep, it's another, <laughs> believe it or not, it's another uh, road movie, another traveling movie, which he loves to do. Um, Dutch, that's the name of it. I just remembered it. I don't know what, how I remember it. I feel like it. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. So, yeah, he's got learn a, something new every day. I, I don't plan on getting Home Alone 3, which he actually did right. Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah. But uh, I tell you what, I'm just getting the ones I like. But Career Opportunities just came out Blu-ray this past year. I like that one. Yeah. And then I've got a set that has, what is it? She's Having a Baby. I think I'm messing the title up slightly. Yeah, uh, no, that sounds right. She's Having a Baby. I think it's that one that in Plain Streets and Automobiles, Steve Martin's wife is watching on TV. Oh, cool. And, <laughs> and I, th I think that's the one with Kevin Bacon. Mm. And then I've, I, I haven't watched that one yet, actually. And then... Um, but Kevin Bacon makes the guest appearance in Planes, Trains in the beginning because they oh. worked together on the other movie. He just like did him a favor. Right, right. So, right. That's cool. So, yeah. 
you I think you hear Kevin Bacon on the TV while she's watching it, but they don't show him on it. Yeah. So kind of funny. <laughs> Gets kind of meta. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've seen Uncle Buck, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. That's one Megan and I have been wanting to watch because she hasn't seen it. So. Yeah, I mean, it's probably been like 20 years for me, but yeah, it's definitely one that I've seen. And uh, oh, and Some Kind of Wonderful. I love Some Kind of Wonderful with uh, Eric Stoltz. That's that's in the set where I got just having a baby. And I haven't watched that. Oh, wait, no, I have seen Have I seen it? If I saw it, I don't remember it. It's so with I, the, uh, Mary Stewart Masterson and she's a drummer. No, I haven't seen it then. It's good stuff. That rings no bells. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I need to watch it. But. Yeah, R.A.P. John Hughes. There was no. a, a day at, at work when we were randomly, me and a bunch of my buddies were talking about John Hughes randomly at the lunch table. Mm-hmm. And then like that day he died. Oh, goodness. So, so, so we're like, we're never sitting at this table and talking about anyone ever again. <laughs> right. <laughs> we switch tables. Yeah, exactly. So mm. anyway, so let's Ugh. get into it. Where to so, even begin? Uh, let's begin with the, the final half, <laughs> final Uh-oh. half hour. There go my doggos again. Um, oh, I did remember to prepare a synopsis for tonight. Mm. In the good, the bad, and the ugly, the character Blondie is a bounty hunter who typically frees his bounty after he's collected the money. He is the good. Then we have Angel Eyes, who is a mercenary and who has no reservations about beating or killing folks, even women and children, in order to get his rewards. He is the bad. And finally, we have Tuco, who is a bandit. He is the ugly, and he is apprehended by Blondie, who seeks to collect the bounty on Tuco's head. After Blondie collects his money, he frees Tuco just before he's about to be hanged, and the two of them team up to retrieve a missing cash box, which is rumored to contain $200,000 in gold. It is a partnership of necessity more so than friendship, as Blondie and Tuco each hold one half of the information needed to retrieve the gold. And when Angel Eyes starts searching for the gold as well, this further complicates the escapades of our unlikely duo. The music will swell up here in the background. So, in terms of reference, uh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna do the old mixeroo, as the kids call it. Um, Angel Eyes is played by Van Cleef. Yes. Blondie's played by Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. And then I feel really rude, but I don't know the name of the actor who played Tuco, but he's amazing. Eli Wallach. Okay. I'm going to refer to, I'm pro- I think I'm going to say Tuco, Van yeah. Cleef, and... Uh, Blondie uh, or Clint. <laughs> yeah, or Clint. Yeah, yeah, either or. So, but there, there, there's your reference guide. Print it out. Yes. So you know, so you know what the hell I'm talking about. Interesting so. fact about the Van Cleef character, Angel Eyes, mm-hmm. um, because I think you know we touched in earlier, and I mentioned that I did not get a chance to listen to the commentary this week, and mm-hmm. uh, that is true. But I did get off work a tiny bit early today. I got an early start, so I was able to clock out a little early. So I threw on the commentary just like I got about an hour and 10 minutes in just for funsies uh, before mm-hmm. the show tonight. And uh, I guess originally in the script, his character was called Banjo, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. He doesn't play or carry a banjo in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when they were actually filming, it got changed to Sentenza, which I guess in Italian translates to sentence or judgment. 
Um, okay. And then when it got translated for the English version, at that point, um, that's where the angel eyes came in. And it's something that was made up on the set by Clint, actually, um, mm. when they were just kind of goofing around. And that's what it kind of stuck and they used it for the English translation version. So mm. there that's you go. There's your fun fact of the day. <laughs> huh. That is fun. And it's a fact. So <laughs> I mean, the name angel eyes is kind of fun and uh, just, you know, juxtaposition for the, the bad character. Yeah, that he plays. yeah. So let's talk about, since we're talking about calling them out as good, bad, and ugly. Mm-hmm. I loved, the, so stylistically, this movie, I would say, I mean, they each have their own style. Okay. I'm not going to show my hand yet. I'm, I'm going to, for once, try to keep to myself what I think of this movie. At least for, tease at least a for, little. <laughs> at least for five minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but stylistically, this one definitely leaned hard into the humor side of things. Mm-hmm. And e- even the way that it had on screen, uh, you know, they literally, not in the order of the title, but I think it was, the, yeah, the ugly was introduced first. Mm-hmm. They screen slapped. caption. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They do a freeze frame and uh, throw it on screen next to the character. And then they did the it, bad. It's a very comedic image too. That first one of Tico oh, yeah. with like the yeah. drumstick in his hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's funny this movie to me in many ways uh it kind of made me think of like edgar wright I'm, and i'm talking like his uh i don't know how familiar you are with his films but but the what is it coronado trilogy yeah. i'm a Sorry. huge fan of Shaun of the dead i mean i mean all three of those yeah. movies are great but Shaun of yeah. the dead is ooh, love it hot fuzz for me is the one of the three that i just absolutely it's, adore it's really freaking funny i recently rewatched that and i was like wow this is really good <laughs> and, and and crazy violent so like when the uh the top of the church lands on the guy's head it's like insanely violent i was talking to someone recently about these movies and i was trying to explain how the same actors showed up in all three movies but played different characters mm-hmm. and they referenced that film series and i'm like yeah it's it, it is kind of exactly like that it's like another loose trilogy that's not a trilogy yeah. but it is a trilogy yep. yep and you have a lot of the same actors so absolutely um i yeah i noticed i'm not great with the side characters mm-hmm. i mean by the third movie meaning this one uh i did recognize the kid from for a few dollars more yeah. who is who is taking tips from Clint for tips right well, he's t- taking tips for tips i guess <laughs> he was yeah. T- <laughs> it, it, yeah he was he was telling him information about what was going in town for money mm-hmm. and then in this movie he shut up early and he was riding mule- a donkey or something yeah or do- <laughs> a mule donkey yeah muling around or donking around or whatever <laughs> yes but i'm like hey it's that kid and he looks a tiny bit older so yeah. But, you know, that age just brought up fast. Um, so anyway, regardless. Did you uh, uh, recognize from, what was it, the first movie, Fistful of Dollars, the man who yes. played Chico? Yes, <laughs> And I then did. in the other I movie, did. he played, like, Nino or one of the other, like, yes. henchmen. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But I mainly recognize him from uh, Fistful of Dollars. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm like, uh, this guy gets typecast as the big muscle the big guy. big baddie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mario Brega. But he played like a military guy in this in this movie, which was a, sure. little, a little different, but still kind of a bad guy. Yeah, I mean, he was he was, he was a, kind of an enforcer. Like, I mean, yeah. he was trying to he was making sure people were doing what they're supposed to do. He was intimidation. He was a threat, you know? 
Yeah. So, yeah. And then he was oh. the torturer in, in the one scene. Yep. <laughs> we'll yep. get to that. Yep. Uh, okay. So, yeah, yes. I love how, I love how I say that this movie is definitely lighthearted and funnier <laughs> than the other. And then you're like, oh yeah, by the way, the torture, torture scene. Torture, yeah. Which the the actor that was in it who played Tuco, uh, he said his family couldn't watch that scene. So so fun. So so the guy that plays Tuco, very American, which mm-hmm. you never know with these dubs. And I would, yeah. it's really hard to tell. Um, also, so here's a question for you and Van Cleef between last movie and this movie, d- does he do his own voiceover? Is it a different voice actor? I can't tell. I believe it is his voice for the English dub. Okay. Um, however, there were a couple scenes that were added back into the extended English version when they were doing that restoration, and they actually had they pulled back in Clint and Eli mm-hmm. Wallach to overdub their voices for these scenes that they didn't actually have audio for. But for Van Cleef, because he passed away, and I believe it was 1989, uh, they they had uh, to get another uh, like character actor or voice actor rather to come in and to do his lines. And you know, I'm sure okay. they found someone good because I didn't even notice when I was watching the movie. But it's just okay. a scene or two that you know that got added back in. But yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, because Clint, obviously, we know his voice mm-hmm. because we've heard it so many other movies. But for the other actors, I don't know. I didn't know if they. Right. But anyway, so uh, let's see. So this movie had a lot going on. So the movie's three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, I messaged you and I said that I thought it was at the end scene. And then I looked <laughs> and there, there's still an hour left. Now, obviously, that can be interpreted many ways. It just—it was just a matter of, I think, film conventions and what we're used to of the way that that scene was being shot and the music was the way the music was going. Yeah, like a that, certain build-up type of. Yeah, 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 yeah. That it's like okay, we're wrapping up more so than me being like, for the love of God, and this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with the length really but i think also when you're watching from home and can pause to get up and get a snack or whatever it's entirely different than sitting in the theater for three hours absolutely so i know one of the special features they were talking about the length specifically Mm -hmm. and how two of the things i know there was a shorter cut that existed we both watched the director's cut or extended cut it's the extended english version okay and uh, that one, you know, clocks in around three hours. I think they yeah. cut out tw- 25 minutes for the American version originally. Yes. But Sergio likes to have long shots. Like there's a mm-hmm. scene of Clint rolling down a mound of uh, sand dune. Mm-hmm. And I think it's clocks in at like 43 or 48 seconds of just him rolling. Right, and that's all, right. in, it's all, it's all in there. Yeah. Uh, and I guess from an editor's perspective, they said it's hard to edit his films because the shots are so long, but have a a rhythm to them that Mm -hmm. it's really obvious when you kind of cut into that. So from a rhythm standpoint too, I want to talk about the music again, like we always do. (laughs) But like, especially this one, it's like the most epic score thus far. It really is. I mean, this is the music everyone knows. Yeah. I mean, people who don't even really know Westerns or like Westerns, it's like, you know, that music, you've just, you've heard it, whether it's just in ads or other forms of pop culture. Like I think Metallica used to tour and they would play like the ecstasy of gold, like before they came out on stage or something like that. 
funny. Yeah, but it's like you just you know it. It's like associated with like kind of that's the quintessential you know Western movie score type of thing. I I would say if yeah if there was one song that represented an entire genre, it would be the theme song to this movie. So, yes, absolutely. Uh, um, and, and going along with that, they thought it was interesting that you know everyone knows I'm not I'm not even going to attempt it. No, do you, it, you, do it. I no. No, uh, give, give it one go. Tomorrow morning in the shower, I'll try it. No, <laughs> no, because you're gonna leave it in, and if it's great, you're leaving it in. If it's awful, you're leaving it in. I'm not even gonna just tell give you it what. A, just give it a go. Yoli from the podcast, you give it a try. Ah! Wah, wah, wah. There, there now, you go. Now you go. Uh, uh, <laughs> there you go. I did it. I did it. Perfect pitch. There's even like that Vandal song. That like samples that very, you know, it, it almost sounds like reminiscent of a coyote's howl as someone mm, yes, pointed, pointed out yes. in one of the features. But, it, you know, they have that punk song. that's like, I want to be a cowboy. And it does that like. Doo, 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 doo. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. yeah. It's it's just this, you know, this music is so embedded into pop culture. It's oh, amazing. Oh, yeah. 100%. Um, and I, I'm. I how many people do you think could source what it came from? You mean in terms of the... Oh, you mean of the composer? Movie? Okay. No, oh, I don't know. Either. At first, I wasn't sure if you meant like the coyote's howl. Like, I wasn't sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that that's like three things that you maybe want to talk about. A, <laughs> I, I never thought of it as a coyote's howl until they said it in the special features. Mm-hmm. And now now I'm just always going to be that guy who walks around and goes, <laughs> oh, it's a coyote, coyote's howl. <laughs> And uh, mm. oh, oh, you didn't know, <laughs> you plebeian. <laughs> uh, so there's that too. Uh, I just meant if people would say like, "Oh, that's the theme song to Good, the Bad, and the Ugly." Uh, but I think the Good, the Bad, the Ugly as a phrase has even just worked its way into pop culture. Sure, obviously. sure. Mm-hmm. And then uh, three, I was going to say, I don't think people would know who the composer was. I just don't. Um, film people would know, or or uh, Western yeah. fans would know. Oh, probably of course. some of, of course. Them. Yeah, yeah. No, of course, of course. But yeah, J- Joe Schmo off the street, who might know that music and even yeah. associate it with like westerns, probably wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't know until like a few months ago, and when I saw the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly for the first time, I did. I just, it's still. I, I'm terrible with names, so I, I I would always be like, I know it if I read it, but. Morricone, right, right, right. You know, I, I, I was never gonna attempt to pronounce his name and butcher it. You're good at multiple so. choice, but not fill in the blank. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, the music in this movie, like, uh, they give it. You've got scenes at the beginning, scenes at the end, scenes in between. But those are the beginning and the end are really the ones where it's noticeable, mm-hmm. where it's just music, no sound effects, just music. Uh, actually. I take that back. Well, I, I mean, what I said is true. I never lie. But uh, <laughs> but there's scenes in between where you don't even realize that kind of uh, what you're seeing is not maybe not the most captivating, but the music pushes it along. And you, so you stay interested in it. Hmm. And once again, no sound effects. It's it's a scene where I it's up for debate whether or not it's interesting, but it's a scene where. Uh, Tuco? This is why I write the names down. Yes. Uh, I, 
I I wanted to say taco, but anyway, <laughs> the scene where Tuco um, is like going through the graveyard and he's looking to find oh, the right grave at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no dialogue or anything, and it's also like mm. a, a you know the camera pulls back and it's just music in that scene. So it's like oh yeah, it it doesn't it didn't even phase me. I mean, but also you're far into the film at the point that you're as kind of like edge of your seat. You're invested in everything that's going to happen. So oh, yeah, it's like a grandiose moment. So music's great. Okay. Mm -hmm. We got that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the, uh, the music is good, not bad or ugly. Uh, <laughs> so, so let's talk about the ugly and the good. So first of all, going into this movie, I loved Van Cleef from, for a few dollars more, as you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and Clint, Clint is sort of just like a given that you're going to like him. Like, I, I can't imagine someone watching these movies and not liking him as an actor. Especially if you like, did enjoy him in the first couple of movies, because he, he is kind oh, of, of course. you know, the same character, the same. I mean, he's not the same character, but he's kind of acting in the same way, same kind of mannerism, same type of behavior. So This really feels like he perfected everything that he was doing by this point mm -hmm. I, I, don't get me wrong nothing that i say is a knock against for, for a few dollars more because i genuinely really enjoyed that movie mm -hmm. um i i just love the dynamic in it of the characters and the whole yeah. movie overall so yeah. while you said that the movies get continuously better i think it's a little apples and oranges between uh for a few dollars more and good the bad the ugly so I mean, at the very least, they, they get technically better. Yes, I would agree. Technically, this movie is better than for a few dollars more. And I'd say it's leaps and bounds uh, ahead of Fistful of Dollars. It's so. a tough call, though, because this was my second time watching it. Mm -hmm. And I was absolutely enjoying it as I was watching it. But I was, I don't know, maybe a third or maybe a quarter even of the way in. And I was sitting there and I was kind of like, do I? do I like a few dollars more, more? Like I started to kind of second guess myself, but then I was like, but this is clearly the better film, but you know, care. better is yeah, subjective, you know, subjective or, or, you know, it can be better maybe in different ways, um, but it's also like epic and wonderful and amazing. So it's like, but it's like you said, apples to oranges. It's like, although they're similar in many ways by the same filmmaker and all that, they're also vastly different vastly different films so it's, it's hard Agreed. to choose and, and we'll within the, the six hours here we will get <laughs> we will get in, into the details but i i'm just going to come out and say it then since you already went there okay uh, for, for a few dollars more is my favorite of the three. Oh, yep uh hands down there's no question it's pretty it is, great it's pretty it's great. it's my favorite and i have these movies on a pack so it's all three but i kept thinking about if I didn't own these movies and I had to put money down to get just one, mm. you know, what would I pay for? And for a few dollars more, uh, I'm not going to do any puns on the name, but that's that, that's the one I would pay for. I was going to say for a few dollars more, you could get both. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> or well, you could get all three, which they did. <laughs> but uh, but that uh, for a few dollars more is the one that I, I could find myself coming back to and watching again. You also don't get quite as much Van Cleef in this one, and you love Van Cleef. I love Van Cleef, like to the point of where, as you know, I've bought some other off-genre st stuff that he uh, was in. The Master, 
It was the ninja show oh, that I was telling right. you about. You mentioned yeah. that. Have you watched that any are... of that yet? Not yet. I, okay. It's we'll circle very... back. Yeah, I'm uh, checking out the Shaw Brothers stuff, and then right. I think I'm going to jump to that. Um, but yeah, he plays like a ninja in it, which, and you know, That's he different. Should, should be <laughs> should be speaking English in it. Yeah. It was, so, but uh, you really get a lot of Tuco mm-hmm. and uh clint, clint in this yeah. or blondie here I'll, mm-hmm. I'll try to be slightly consistent tuco and blondie <laughs> out of respect for the actors because i really i thought they all did a great job oh, yeah. um and okay so i have to say speaking of actors let's talk about before we talk all about them let's talk about mm-hmm. the secondary actors okay. so we know that uh sergio likes to cast really interesting and colorful um, people faces uh, yeah. yeah bodies <laughs> everything mm-hmm. yeah, yeah absolutely so, so uh and he has a guy in this movie with no legs mm-hmm. which i didn't get this is the movie hits you hard with civil war related information later but early on in the film when you first see this soldier with uh no legs i believe it's van cleef's character who says something about like he calls him like little soldier or something like that i think you half know? soldier half soldier something, something like, like that. that but this is a guy with no legs mm-hmm. who what's most notable is that he not maybe not most notable but i just made sure to record in my notes that he goes through uh saloon doors and he pushes it open with his head so <laughs> you gotta have the saloon doors yes. um but but yeah, every character who is a side character is just he he picks interesting people to play these roles. Definitely. So I didn't notice, and you you're much better at finding Waldo than I am. But was was the guy that played PP from uh, for Fistful of Dollars? Was he in this movie? Unfortunately, no. Uh, Perry Perro, the the guy who played yes. him, um, something Eggers. Joseph Eggers, I want to say. He was okay. in Fistful and A Few Dollars More, but his appearance in A Few Dollars More was his last appearance before he passed away. No. Yeah. Pl- oh. Well, that was a great role. He did a great job. Mm-hmm, yeah. Absolutely. Pl- playing the prophet. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, but yeah, I was seriously waiting for him to show up in this movie. Where's and then, yes, that's I, I just kept yelling, where's, where's my pee pee? The entire time. <laughs> uh, but then I got so into the movie that I forgot. And then it was yeah. until I and saw. And then you're like, was he in there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's talk about Tuco, because okay. Tuco is a newcomer as a starring role mm-hmm. for me. If he was yes. in the other movies, it's a bit role. No, um, I don't believe so. No. Okay. He's, he's okay. Dead. So obviously, you got you got your old familiars. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna have the new kid, and it's. The, I, you spend a good amount of time just being like, show me the people I like. I'm not sure about the new guy. But then as I was watching, I'm like, Sergio knows what he's doing. Although what's funny about that is I believe all through the line, maybe Clint was different, but these actors weren't the first pick <laughs> for for their roles. Right, right. That's you true. Know? Mm-hmm. So regardless, historically, we, we, we always know that there's a lot of great roles that have been played by whoever played that role that you can never imagine anyone else playing it but often right. you know it was cast to someone else sure. um but regardless uh 
it's funny. He's the comedic the relief, I oh, would yeah. say. That yeah, huge source he, of comedy. He himself, I guess, didn't realize he was entirely. Right. Uh, he, you know, there's there's some funny lines that he says in there that he's like, I just said the line. I didn't, I didn't, people cracked up, but I was just saying the line. I didn't realize it was funny. But yeah, it's pretty obvious. You have to remember too that there's language barriers with mm-hmm. all of this. Mm-hmm. So doing comedy that translates across languages, that's tricky. And right. to go from what it was to make it so it's actually funny for American audiences. Sure. It was it was actually laugh out loud funny at parts. Right. right. Uh did you LOL, Yoli? Yes. <laughs> okay. I, I know you had seen this before, but I think I wrote down a some few. of not all, obviously, but some of the um I guess nuanced humor or whatever, like you're talking about American audience versus Italian audience. Some of that did come into play from the English translators who, cause yes. they were, yeah, they were talking about this, about how like, you know, certain things funny in Italian, but it wouldn't be the same kind of funny to American audiences. So sometimes the translator would just slightly tweak a line um, or even like um, sometimes not because of the language, but um, I think in the original Tuco says something about like, oh yeah, and I'm Lincoln or something. But then when it got translated, the translator slightly tweaked it to be like, oh yeah, I'm Lincoln's grandfather or something, which like, made it slightly more humorous for Americans and it would have been, I don't know, just, that's just kind of like an example of something that was mentioned in one of the things that I watched, but um, just interesting to think about. Um, and it did say, or one of the people did say that um, the Tuco character did do um, some ad-libbing as well. Cause in the script, there mm. wasn't as much um, concrete lines and it would just say like, Oh, Tuco being angry or swearing. And then, so you know, the actor would have to kind of just, um, say whatever swearing gibberish that he would want to say and stuff like that. And uh, you know, he was always kind of crossing himself like the sign of the cross, but then he yeah, kind of like yeah. do one of these over his face too, like kind of a, like almost like he was wiping his nose. So that's something that he also just brought the, you know, the actor brought it and kind of just started doing it. And, but it became kind of like just one of those little funny mannerisms that the Tuco character does throughout the film. Um, yeah. There's a scene where Tuco finds a bathtub and then he just there's all these powders and he just starts dumping <laughs> dumping them in like pink and, and blue and green powders. Yeah. And at first he's kind of he dips his hand in the tub and he's like wiping his teeth. And you're like, <laughs> OK, this is where it's going to begin and end. And then next thing we know, it like switches to a different character and comes back and he's fully in the tub. <laughs> and this one like man bubbles everywhere. <laughs> yes. Yes. And this one our man comes to kill him and he's gibbering and jabbering mm-hmm. uh and then Tuco just blasts him from within the tub yeah apparently Shoots. the gun was in the tub i'm like is that sure that, that actually did make me go like would a gun still fire after being submerged in water or i, I think with the, i think with the bubbles you could say mm, that you hide it, in the bubbles and it's yeah, not, like yeah. soaking wet yeah 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 that's but what happened <laughs> also, also also i like how you're I'll, I'll start getting into the things that are totally unrealistic, but that like was kind of like the one thing that really like took me out for a moment. And I was like, would that gun still work <laughs> out of the bathtub? I don't know. Honestly, it's yeah. Th- with the bullet cartridges, that's, I don't know how they were made back then. If this is like civil war era, then there's that's questionable. Cause if yeah, the gunpowder, gunpowder gets wet, but yeah, anyway. but, I mean, I have no idea. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> I went with it. <laughs> so uh, do some tests and let me know. <laughs> but so. yeah, I do love the idea of him hiding a gun under the bubbles and then just as he's naked in the tub, just like blasting someone. But it's funny, too, because then he I mean, his line was, when you have to shoot, just shoot. Don't talk. Yeah, uh, that was the line that got me where I mean, that's a while in. But Tuco grew on me 
because Tuco also was. Oh yeah, you also get to see Tuco's butt. That's for you. A little bit of man butt. That's for yep, me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's for you. Keep you interested. Hmm. Uh, okay, so I'm gonna. You covered it in the synopsis a little, but I want to talk about this a little more in detail. Yeah, please. Tuco has and uh, Clinton's character have like a, a grift that they're running where he arrests Tuco, brings him to town alive, mm-hmm. which means he's at first when I saw this, I'm like, oh, he's about a hunter, not about a killer this time. Right, right. Because I'm going to always be comparing it to the previous movie and trying to figure out what's different. <laughs> and uh, so he brings him in. And then basically the grift is when they're saying all the things that Tuco's character had done and he's set to be hung, then Clint shoots him down, just some sharp shooting from a distance. Mm-hmm. He shoots the rope and then he consistently shoots the hats off of all the other people the spectators, around it. Yeah. yeah, the spectators, <laughs> which, you know, it's just probably a threat to be like, don't even try it. Yeah, or just you know? a distraction, you know, sure, make sure. some chaos and then get away. Yep, and one of the times it works fine, and the horse runs away with Tuco on it, even though he's all tied up. Another time later, it doesn't go so well, and uh, <laughs> yeah, he doesn't fully cut the rope, and the horse runs away first. So he's and hanging. Then, yep, and then but uh, he manages to yeah. shoot the rope. The second shot does the job. Yep, and while that there's a two degree because I watched the special features, I wasn't fully sure if. That was by the script because the actor playing Tuco was like, you, sh- you need to put like something in the horse's ears. Yeah, it's gonna be like- <laughs> yeah, because in the rope, I guess they had like a little explosive that would go off to, you know, bust the rope. Right. And um, I just don't know if that was planned to have it not fully break on it because the horse ran and he was still kind of hanging there oh, that for a one. second. Yeah. Yeah. I think they might have touched on this in the commentary or maybe it was one of the features that I watched, but. In the the one where he was he had to take the two shots, I think that might have mm-hmm. been like a part of it. Um, but in the in the first instance, I believe where this happens, wh- like you mentioned, the actor kind of suggested to to Sergio Leone, and he was like, "Oh, we should put some cotton in the horse's ear so he doesn't get spooked when the little you know small dynamite in the rope goes off." And mm-hmm. I guess Sergio Leone was just like, "No, that's a ridiculous idea. I've never heard of this. What the heck are you talking about?" But then, sure enough, when it happened, the horse did get spooked, and he mm-hmm. took off running. And Tuco is on the horse, but he was legitimately like tied up, hands behind his back. And this horse just took off running because it was spooked. <laughs> and so it was actually kind of, you know, a bit dangerous, this predicament. He's on this ho- runaway horse with his hands tied behind his back. And that was not a planned thing. Although in the movie, it, it looks great. It's an awesome scene. Uh, so there's another scene, too, where Tuco ends up in trouble constantly, basically. Mm-hmm. But he's handcuffed to... Uh, a guy who ends up dead right and or yep and he, he he yeah he goes to train tracks to put the tracks to put the cuffs down in the track um to have the train run to over the handcuffs and break yeah, them yep yeah. uh i guess the reason i bring it up about it being in other films is this is definitely the best filming i've ever seen of this type of scene mm. because because it was obviously it was in daylight and they were using a real train Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the actor he can't actually yeah yeah eli is that his name mm-hmm. okay Tuco, eli okay eli had to actually do this mm-hmm. and so he was next to the train and which is 
scary and loud and sure and clearly i mean between what you just described and then this the they don't have the same sort of caution and regulations when they're filming in in europe uh, yeah in europe and so basically they're like you know he's like when do i know when to move away from the train uh, when it's over and stuff he's like i don't know just you know go based on what did he say like go based on sound or just go based on when you see it go by and I, I can't remember. It was very loosey-goosey. Yeah. But but Eli basically said, you know, he moved away at the point that he thought was right. And then he realized that there was a step on one mm-hmm. of the cars where if he put his head up at the wrong moment, he would have been yeah. decapitated. Like a few seconds later, you yes. know, and his head would have been lopped off. It's insane. Absolutely insane. This poor guy. <laughs> oh, my God. And <laughs> That's so what he, he went through in this film. <laughs> yeah. So he did that. And then he's like, Sergio's like, can we do it again? And he's like, no, we're not doing it again. <laughs> like I could have just died. Yeah. So, but, but it was a good take. So it was a great take. And there's, there's a lot of that. So, so anyway, I, I'm, I'm kind of getting off track. That's okay. Let, let me help steer you. Cause there's one part I want to talk about. That was, that was a, a good pun there. Yolene. <laughs> you're right. You're right. So, okay. Yeah. You go ahead. Well, just, okay, so you went over their kind of, their scheme that they've been doing, and they do it, you know, a couple times that we see, and then Clint kind of, all of a sudden, it was kind of, just decides, like, oh, the bounty on your head's never going to be any bigger than such and such, and he kind of just decides that he's he's done with Tuco, and he doesn't want to mm-hmm. do their scam anymore, um, and he basically, like, leaves him out in the desert, you know, because they, they, they did their scheme, yep. they ran away, and then he's kind of like, all right, like, I think we're good, the agreement's over, and he's basically... Um, he's like, oh, whatever, you're a big strong man. I'm paraphrasing, but he's like, you're a big strong guy. Like, you'll have no trouble walking the, like, 60 miles back to town from this, like, and desert, he, even though he has no water, no provisions, no nothing. And he was tied up still, I think. Yeah, his hands were, like, still tied up um, at this point. Um, so Clint kind of ditches him, and so Tuco does actually find his way back to town, and, you know, that's fine. But then there's a point later where, um, you know, the roles kind of... Well, the, I shouldn't say the roles get reversed, but um, basically... Tuco- Tuco wants basically to get back at Clint for doing that to him. Yeah. For ditching him. And exactly. And the when he gets that opportunity, he he does just that. And he, you know, he drags Clint out to the desert. And, you know, Tuco's up on his horse. He's got this little pink parasol he can use for shade. He's got various water canteens. And he's making Clint just walk, you know, alongside in this very hot sandy dunes desert. And yeah, you know, this this is this. I wanted to talk about this because it is kind of a long um, sequence that goes on when they're when they're in the desert. And mm-hmm. um, we kind of really see the more sadistic side of Tuco throughout this trek through the desert. Because he's yes. kind of like, he can be funny and he at times can be kind of, a, you know, sort of a jolly likable character even though we know he's kind of, he's this kind of bandit type of person but not up to the up to this point i didn't like Tuco. he hadn't really done anything that endeared him to me right right well i was just saying you know at whatever point in the film when there are moments that where he might be endearing at, at this particular point he, he's at I, I you could say his worst or, or more uh yeah, his yeah, most yeah, totally. brutal i should say totally and yeah, we yeah. see the just the sadist in him and it's sort of warranted because clint basically did leave him to potentially die in the desert so it's you know he has a right to be angry and vengeful or whatever um but he really does take it out hard on clint you know he denies him water he um keeps him out 
you know, he doesn't just even ditch him in the desert. He's kind of there, like almost driving him like a pack mule at times. Like, you know, um, and just some of the makeup in the sequence is incredible. Um, oh, they yeah. show Clint's face getting like so weathered, his lips so chapped from the sun, his face peeling from, you know, he's a fair skinned person in, in that brutal heat. Yep. Um, and there is just like some gorgeous cinematography in this sequence as well. Um, like you said, when Clint's falling down over the sand dunes, there's like this sunshine, sun flare over the horizon and like the light catches him just right and just beautiful breathtaking shots. So I just wanted to talk about that desert scene because I actually, the first time I watched it, it was one of my favorite parts of the film, even though it's, you know, it's kind of brutal and everything, but just for so many various reasons, the beautiful photography and some of the humor when Tuco's like washing his feet and like trying to, you know, the only water he'll offer Clint is the water that he washed his feet in. And But, but then he kicks that away at the last minute, even when. Yeah. Before, uh, <laughs> so yeah, Clint ends up looking like Freddy Krueger. Yeah. He, he really does. And this was one of the parts that was edited to some degree, um, like you mentioned, for the for the American version. Um, actually, I think the foot washing scene was um, one of the bits that got cut out. But I just like the whole entirety of it. I know it takes up a lot of a lot of runtime, but it's, I just it's it's brutal. It I feels mean, so it, essential to this movie. It, yeah. Oh, it, totally. It sticks with you. Um, and then later, when Clint's able to kind of turn around and still work with. Tuco after experience. I mean, they both done it to each other, but you could argue that, you know, Tuco doing it to Clint was a lot more vicious. Yeah. Yeah. More. Yeah. He, he... But then later Clint's able to still work with him when, when they are looking for this cash box. Um, so, 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 yeah. So when they're out there, that's when they come across basically uh, a little caravan, I guess. Um, yeah, it was like a runaway um, cart of the, what is it, the Confederate soldiers, the yep, yep. third regime, which we heard yep. mentioned earlier in the movie is, um, so this missing cash box is linked to this guy called Bill Carson. He's a lot, mm-hmm. he's, you know, a Confederate soldier who had this cash box and they're, they're in the third regiment or something like that. This was mentioned beforehand. So then later there's this runaway um, cart um, with a bunch of dead bodies in it, we find out. But um, this carriage it has like third regiment or whatever printed on the side. So we kind of get that hint that like, okay, is this going to be related to the cash or, you know, the guy, Carson? Yep. And it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they find that guy and he tells Tuco the cemetery. Yeah, he's dying. He's like, I need yes. water. He can barely talk. But Tuco does extract that bit of information of the cemetery where mm-hmm. he's buried all all this gold. And then Clint is near, makes it to him. Yeah. Tuco goes to get water, comes yeah. back, and basically Bill has died. And then Clint finds out the name of the grave that the treasure's at. Right. So then all of a sudden Tuco changes his tune totally. Yeah. And... He's like, oh, we're friends. I'm your friend. Here, yes. have some water. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and you're still like, oh, I hate him. And then they go into the scene of where he takes him to... His brother happens to... Well, He's like they, a they monk first, or priest or something in a monastery. Yep. They first try going to a Confederate camp and they're moving and they don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then they go to like a monastery. And then that's, I think, really where um, Tuco gets to shine because Clint is sort of out for the count. And mm-hmm. you get a lot of scenes of him like, you know, trying to... It's very, very I want to say Mel Brooks, but it is shot comedically. And that we're focused on Tuco just being like a bastard and just trying to, 
like, oh, has he said anything yet? Oh, is he he's like a brother to me. Yeah, oh, he's acting so that. concerned for his friend, but we, yes, we know his yes. ulterior motives. Yes, but from here on, um, and he starts the, growing on you. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, totally. Here on, because I think it's because, and man, I I am easily swayed, but it's because Clint re- accepts him back in. Yeah, you're like, if, you know, if Blondie can still work with him yes. after all yes. this, after he nearly kills him in the desert, like, yes. wow, that's something. And I mean, it's totally influencing me as an audience member, because they labeled Blondie as the, the good, the good, which is so debatable, um, yeah. up to a point, like up to basically what you've seen, you know. And that's what's kind of great about these characters, too. Like, yeah, we have the good, the bad, the ugly, it's clear cut, but like, they're multidimensional characters, there's layers to them. Like, Clint's oh, good, yeah. but he also does some, you know, quote-unquote bad, or at the very least questionable things. He's He's the most moral of the three of them. Mm-hmm. But it's it's kind of like Wild West rules of good, for sure. You know, yeah. um, and also it's funny. I thought too about as far as ugly goes. I'm like, oh man, like someone has to be cast as, hey, you're gonna be the ugly of the title. It's like, right? You know what I mean? And so. I mean, he's not really ugly. I mean, he's not like some handsome guy, but he's not like yeah. horrible looking either. He's just like a dude. But you can kind of take it as like the ugly, like ugly behavior. You exactly. know, more, more despicable, I brutal. Think it, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, but anyway, th- from here they basically agree to team up, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, and with them having an uneasy alliance, yeah, I think my attitude towards Tuco changed. Plus Mm -hmm. you are introduced to the bad. You're introduced to him much earlier. Yeah. um, In which you see him basically just like slaughtering rooms of people. Yeah. But uh, there's, there's no doubt about his, his character and his compass. Oh yeah, totally. But I think also in watching two, two of these other movies, you know, the bad is kind of, you know, it's, what we were just saying no one is very black and white yeah so to make this character truly bad they have to kind of up the ante mm-hmm. um in terms of it's like you said he'll he'll kill anyone basically right and so and yeah and, when he killed that kid in the beginning i was like oh my goodness yeah yeah van cleef how you've changed characters I, from yeah. last movie <laughs> yeah i i it's ridiculous i was still saying to myself like uh even though they said he was the bad, I was still trying to justify it in my head. Yeah. Like, who knows? That, maybe that kid was part of a drug ring of something or whatever. He, maybe he's worse than... <laughs> maybe Van Cleef knows something I don't know. Van right. Cleef, Van Cleef, please. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but just, just be buddy cops, but with uh, Clint. Yeah. So, <laughs> I just want to see the buddy cop film again. But, um, but regardless, later they end up meeting up when they dress up as confederate officers the civil war aspect of this plays in big it goes from you know hints here and there and Mm -hmm. then and according to some of the special features a lot of people question whether or not that it was historically accurate apparently it was sergio did a lot of research because they said a lot of directors say they'll do research and don't. Yeah. But he, I guess he actually did, and some historians weighed in on it. So, And he dug up some kind of obscure 
you know, because I guess the whole thing with the Civil War, they were like, oh, it really just took place on this side of the Mississippi. But then, like, his story takes place in, like, Texas on the border of, like, of New Mexico, I want to say, if I'm remembering that correctly. And they were like, oh, like, yeah, there, nothing really ever happened in that area. But then he went off to the library or something, came back with a book that basically referenced, like, this particular battle and this, you know, particular details about, you know, the, this event or, or sequence of events that happened that, yeah, it was in the Texas area or whatever. And, and like, it, you know, it was there and it was documented in the history books. It was just kind of, like, lesser known information. That brings me to another fact with just the dusters in general that you see a lot of people wearing. The like, jackets? Throughout all, yeah, yeah, yeah. Throughout all three movies. And... That was something that someone questioned him on. And he's like, it, it, it was in this book. Like, mm-hmm. I found it from a book. I didn't just make this up. Yeah. And there's a, a, other details, too, like just even the uh, the cannon on the back of the train. Right, there's another right. thing where they're like, where did you get that from? And he's like, it was in a book. Yeah. You know, like, I didn't make it up. It's yeah, real. Yeah. And also in that area, I think they had a lot of um, some period accurate things that maybe you know, they oh, act, right. it, yeah, they yeah. had some stuff in like the Spanish museums, even though it was American Civil War mm-hmm. stuff, but they did have some yep. of these items in, in the museums in Spain uh, near where they were filming. Yep. So there was a scene when kind of where we were talking about where they are dressed up as Confederate soldiers and they see who they think are their buddies and they're like, oh, hey. And they're well, like, I oh, can't. they're gray coats, just like us. Yes. Yeah. And they start yelling uh, ridiculous things like. What do they say? Like the Confederacy is great or whatever. And then they're like, yeah. we, we love. And they're like, who, who's our <laughs> general? Lee? Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, generally, we love generally. So <laughs> Tuco, like as soon as him and Clint basically hook up and you kind of get the okay from Clint, they, they really dial up the humor side of, yeah. uh, of Tuco. Yeah. Uh, and you're always kind of, you know, it's an uneasy alliance, like I said. So yeah. you're always you're still watching and waiting, and but Clint is kind sort of always your, waiting for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Clint is your your guiding light in terms yeah. of like you always what, kind of trust what to Clint. think. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, right, really oh, quick though. Yeah, I was like, let's talk. I, I, this I, is yeah. one of my favorite moments. So <laughs> I, yeah, we didn't get to the I, I didn't get to the punchline of the yeah, scene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you feel free to tell it. Well, like you said, they're just like rooting for, you know, the, the Confederates or whatever. And they're like, yeah, great coach, just like us. But then, you know, this crowd of soldiers gets into closer proximity and they actually meet and they, they kind of dust off their coats. And we see that they're covered in dust from the desert, but they're actually wearing blue coats and blue uniforms underneath. So it was the Union soldiers and not the Confederate soldiers. So they get taken as prisoners of war. But yeah, it's a really funny moment. <laughs> yeah, the, the response is without a word. It's just them beating the dust off of their uniforms and staring at them. (laughs) And it's like menacingly. (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's great. And so, yeah, they get arrested, which they end up meeting up with uh, Van Cleef's character, Mm -hmm. who's. He's like enlisted in the Union Army or is posing at the very least, but he's in uniform and it's all part of his scheme to try to track down this Bill Carson character because he's also after the gold. Which I took it as just, and it doesn't matter. I mean, because getting enlisted, we find out is pretty easy. <laughs> to, yeah, you just volunteer, you, sign up. <laughs> yeah, but also he could have also he could have got it in a lot of ways because these two guys threw on uniforms and grabbed papers from other people, and yeah, all of a sudden we're true. Confederate soldiers. So exactly, but a lot of shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we get to uh, 
Do you want to talk about the torture scene? You should probably touch on it briefly, especially with that yeah. whole musical, you know, the oh, band okay. playing outside. It's, that that's it's a, cool. That's a, yeah, that's an aspect worth discussing. Sure. It's all you, Yoli. All right. So Van Cleef is sort of in charge. He's somehow made himself a general or whatever. I don't know what the correct term is. Um, but oh, he, uh, just to add to it. Yeah, he's one level lower than this guy who is gout or something like that. Oh, so right. So he's kind something. of in charge, like, in his absence yeah. or whatever. And, yeah. And that guy's like, as long as I'm around, you know, we won't be torturing we do it my way. prisoners. Yeah, yeah we won't mm-hmm. be torturing prisoners. And of course, Van Cleef says the ominous line of, as long as you're in charge. Hmm. Wink, you know? wink. He won't yeah. be alive very much longer. <laughs> exactly. Um, but so Angel Eyes, Van Cleef, his mm-hmm. character, he kind of knows Clint. They've met some, you know, in the past or whatever. They've had some brief dealings because they kind of recognize each other and, ha- and seem somewhat friendly with each other. Um, but so Van Cleef realizes that Clint is with Tuco. And so he brings Tuco in first and basically is trying to get information about what do you know about Bill Carson or where can I find him? And more importantly, where can I find the money really is the info that he's after. And um, yeah, he subjects Eli, or excuse me, uh, Tuco, (laughs) played by Eli, to torture. And that's where we have the other soldier um, that we've seen in the other movies, the Mario Brega character um and he yeah i mean he's punching tuco he's got a bloody mouth he's like gouging his eyes out with his thumbs he's knocking his head against a wall like all kinds of stuff really brutal very bloody scene um just trying to get him to talk and then as this is going on actually right before they start the torture van cleef kind of signals to a band of soldiers just outside the room or just outside the window to play a song and they play this like i guess it's like a civil war song or anthem or or maybe just from that period i don't know but it's kind of this sad melancholy drawn out kind of slow ballad type thing and they all have instruments you know violin or fiddle and horns you know brass section whatever and they're all playing and also singing this like very somber song but the music you know and and then there's another union soldier out there just saying you know saying play louder with more feeling blah blah um, and so this music outside is covering up the screams and the sound of torture inside. And then one of the players or one of the other soldiers out there, because Clint's still out outside with the other prisoners of war. And he's like, oh, your friend is going to be tortured for the whole length, like the whole duration of this song. So, yeah, so that's what's going on with that. So there's a little, I guess, levity to that mm-hmm. it is that. Well, first of all, this the, the quote-unquote torture scene is, by today's standards, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so, like, It's not nothing-nothing, but it's, well, yeah, in, we're, we're in, a lot more desensitized now, I think. In watching the movie, meaning I don't want someone to not watch the movie because they're like, oh, there's a torture scene in it. No, oh, not. It's like he's yeah. getting beat up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the guy's getting fake punched and stuff, and you see a little bit of blood around his mouth. Yeah, it's you not know, even it, elaborate torture of like pulling no. someone's fingernails out or just yeah, like yeah, some yeah, of that yeah. kind of really crazy yeah. stuff we see on like 24 yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's more, it's more the concept. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, if it was actually happening to someone. So, anyway, Van Cleef's character, he talks to Clint and he's like, Yeah, they bring know, Clint in after. Yeah, and it's like, you're not going to torture me? And he's like, no, because I know you wouldn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So so they basically, he just says, hey, I'll work with you. It's the same deal that you had with that guy, but now you have to deal with me. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's do it. So basically, Van Cleef is along for the ride. So this is how we get all three of them together. Mm-hmm. And then between, let's see, 
my notes then kind of go all over the board because mm-hmm. this is one this is when I typically black out and then wake up <laughs> when it's like the end scene. Uh, I've got okay, I've got notes on because we, you can help me here with when these happen. Oh, uh, the kitten the kitten scene was after the tub scene, but I wanted to mention that. <laughs> uh, I, I like the note that was left in the body uh, where. So there's multiple jokes where Tuco isn't that great at reading or okay. reading English. And uh, he's trying to read a note that was left by Van Cleef. Yeah. And, and he's basically was trying to read, what did it say? Something about uh, you idiots or something. Yeah, I forget what the first part was, but it's basically like, good luck, good luck, you idiots. Or like yeah, something. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tuco's struggling over the part where it said idiots. And then Clint like translates it and it's like, it's for it's, you. It's, yeah, it's like idiot, <laughs> it, idiots. It's for you. Yeah, so th- that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a scene. <laughs> this, this is called random. This is you're just spill. This is the Rolodex of my brain of the scenes <laughs> that I remember. Get it out. Get it out. Randomly, uh, I think it's when two goes in the tub. There's you see Clint with a kitten. He just randomly sitting outside with a kitten. Kind of cuddly it. Super yes. cute. <laughs> it's adorable. And it's and like there's a been bl- a cat in every one of these dollars movies. There has? Mm-hmm. I think in the first one, okay. it's just like there's jump, a violent scene and the cat runs away and you yeah. hear the like. And so it's yeah. very brief, but it's there. It's, it's a jump scare in the first one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Well, what was the second one? I can't recall specifically, but there's another cat. And I think it's like another cat screeching kind of in the background. Or maybe in one of the little, when they roll into one of the little towns or cities, there's like a cat out kind of roaming around and you kind of hear it meow it's very subtle but like it's there oh it's a jump scare no i don't think in the in the second one it is i think it's more just kind of background ambiance oh and then what about this movie it's just cuteness cuddling clint cuteness oh it's a jump scare no (laughs) it's a jump cute (laughs) jump cute I, re- uh, I recently learned the term meet cute. The first time uh, I saw it in print, I was like, what the F is that? When you so- said jump cute, that's what I was thinking of. It's such a, it's a, a phrase I refuse to use ever in life. And then once I saw it, it was taken aback the first time. Now I like feel like I hear it everywhere. I'm like, this is a thing. This is in our is vernacular. It, is it you saying it? Is that why you're hearing no, it? No, it's me hearing other people say it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, the thing that everyone wants out of this movie, you finally get towards the end. So the sort of there, showdown, you mean? Or no, you okay. know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the poncho. Oh, the poncho! Yes, yes. Not till the, goes, the end. We don't get it till li- the end. Literally, like one of the end scenes. He goes mm-hmm. from not not having it. I didn't. You don't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't even know where he got it. But all of a sudden, he mm. shows up. He he. So Tuco's headed towards the tombstones and uh, he, to, to find the grave. And Clint is firing a cannon uh, like at his feet, basically. And Tuco keeps running. And then it leads him to the gravestones. Um, there is so, actually a scene where, where we see where he gets the poncho. Okay. Does he get it from the, the sort of on the bridge scene? Yeah, well, it's a little bit after when they've kind of left that area and they're making their way. That cemetery is kind of just right on the other side of that bridge or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they come across one of the wounded soldiers 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a moment where we actually see some compassion from Clint. It's a dying soldier. So he puts his long coat on the soldier who's, you know, bleeding out and probably getting cold. And he, he gives, a, he has one of his, you know, classic Clint cigars. So he mm-hmm. lets the um, dying guy have like a few puffs of the cigar. And then we see him kind of close his eyes and like he, he passes on. He gets very sleepy. Mm-hmm. And then so Clint gets up, but he leaves his coat covering the guy and then as he turns to leave we see him pick up a poncho that was kind of just sitting Uh there next to the guy so that's where it came from it does happen where he picks up the poncho is actually kind of a quick moment so i could see you know you blink or turn away for a minute and you would you would have missed that but yeah that's Um, that's where it is yeah i'm glad you brought that scene up because even though we see Clint, I think that's one of the scenes too of honestly for Clint in all three of these movies, which I know he's not the same character, but um, that is definitely the scene where we see the most compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess that's yeah. if you want to argue why is he the good, that's uh, definitely one a of moment the like this. We see why. Yeah. 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 Um, and we skipped over the whole thing of the bridge, the bridge. and the Civil War. <laughs> There's a big scene with yeah. basically the Civil War forces and they try to enlist and there's a drunk general i can't remember he specifically said he specifically says something like you know you don't recognize the rank that's one of the first things you need to do (laughs) because they call him by the wrong rank but uh maybe they call him captain or something right but regardless they have this scheme to blow up this bridge yeah it's because like on one side is a union soldier is one side is confederate and they're constantly like attacking each other and fighting so the guys Mm -hmm. basically can't get past this area to get to the the graveyard they need to get to so they need to kind of make these soldiers go away and their brilliant ideas will blow up the bridge because then they won't have this like easy access to fight each other and attack each other and they do and they do it kind of leads us to the next scene Mm -hmm. but i guess the most fun part of that was the fact that they accidentally blew up the bridge without filming (laughs) initially. And also I think Sergio um, Clint was, well, sorry, what's the name of the other actor? His real name. Eli Wallach. Yeah. Clint was Eli's canary in the coal mine when it came to filming a spaghetti Western because he kind of tucked him under his wing. I guess I'll continue the metaphor. Uh, and basically said like, hey, don't do certain things. And trust me, like, basically you'll be in harm's way if you fully listen to Sergio. And and the bridge scene was one of them where they said to him, like, Sergio, where will you be? They'll be like, I'll be up on the hill. And they'll be like, we'll be up on the hill then too. (laughs) Yeah, that's where (laughs) where we want to be. Yeah. Not not next to all this dynamite because they really blew up the bridge. They, they did. And they had, um, I can't remember who they had to it, but maybe the it was Spanish either. army because they were Thank filming you. in Spain. So the Spanish army did it. Yes. Because they, as in, they wanted to incentivize people, crews to come and film there because it was revenue, you know, for Spain. So that's why the, the army was so willing to come build this bridge for them and, and other yeah. things. But that was a pretty big feat that they took on. Oh, OK. So I didn't realize that they built the bridge for the movie. Mm-hmm. to then blow it up okay yeah and so because they built the bridge i guess the like captain or general or whatever yeah. the term is they were going to give him the honor of doing the button when it was time but be- i think it was something with the language barrier or yes. whatever that yes. he did it too early and they he, weren't he ba- rolling the camera he understood like a word that translates to like okay or something like that yeah. amongst other things right right the context really mattered there it's kind of like and, when you say get ready and like the guy goes but you're like no no i didn't say go yeah, i just said get yeah. ready 
Exactly. And, and all he caught was ready. So he's like, oh, <laughs> trigger yep. finger. And But Clint said that they saw Sergio saying every swear word in every language you know. <laughs> Red in the face. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> and just yeah. And that's when they found out oh the cameras not weren't rolling. Happy, not yep. happy. So, and understandably so. Yeah. But I guess crazy. the Spanish army or the general, whoever, they felt so bad they're like, We're gonna rebuild it for you again so you can blow it up again and shoot it on film this time. And this time they had uh, I think the special effects guy, someone on the crew uh yeah. manning the button <laughs> okay it was an impressive explosion you know it's, yeah. it was a big bada boom it, yes exactly yeah from the hill you could see everything mm-hmm. and it was pretty pretty big bridge um anyway so jumping back ahead we end up at the tombstones uh yeah, they tricks, make it to the, the cemetery clint tricks him into digging up their own grave and then well, there's a bit where they finally exchange the information they have, right? Oh, yeah, that's bef- it's when they're setting up the dynamite. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're real close to getting there, and they exchange the information. So Tuco tells Clint they named the cemetery that's you know which right is, across the way there. Which is actually a great scene as well, because as an audience, I mean, you kind of trust Clint, but also Tuco goes first in just his hesitancy. Mm-hmm. It's very, chi- very childlike, right. like exchanging a secret, too. And like, yeah. You go first. Stuff. Yeah, you go first, and then he's like, uh, and hesitating every word, and he finally like just spits it out. It's like, okay, now you tell me. So, yeah. so Clint then, tells him the name, right? Allegedly, yeah. of, of you know, the, yeah. the the name of the grave under which the gold is buried. Yep, it's like Archie something. I forget. Yeah, it, it doesn't listen. really matter. <laughs> so it, it starts with an A. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they he goes and he finds it. And it's enough to pull Van Cleef back out, who had kind of scuttled off for a while. And yeah, and then Tuco were... gets there first because after the whole thing with the bridge, they yeah. they get like separated. Yeah, I think well, Tuco that... just takes off. He's just trying to get there like ahead of time, and that's when Clint starts kind of. He's right by like a cannon thing, so he like yep. sets it off after Tuco, who's running away. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're they're both still kind of just. Well, especially Tuco being kind of greedy and just wanting sure. to try to get there first and hoard all the gold. But in exchanging the information, they also were kind of just saying, like, oh, it's every man for himself, you sure, know, sure. to a degree. And also when Clint's firing the cannon, mm-hmm. he is he's not like, damn you, Tuco. He is cool as a cucumber. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He is the entire movie. He's, you know. Well, and we find it, out it, later that, you know, he knows it, Tuco's not going to find that money. Exactly. And so it. it Van Cleef comes out. Uh, well, that's right. Clint goes over, throws him a shovel, and he's like, it's faster with this. And uh, there's some line. Oh, wait. I'm going to screw it up. I was, I was going to try to mention the line about, like, yeah, what is There's it? two or, kinds of people, those who dig and those, those who... With, those with loaded guns and those who dig. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like, you dig. Yep. And then uh, another shovel gets thrown. And Tuco, or not Tuco, sorry, Van Cleef's character comes out and, uh, you know, throws another shovel and he's like, it goes faster if two of you dig. And so they dig it, they find nothing except mm-hmm. bones. And then uh, he pulls out a stone. Clint says, I'm going to write the name of the actual name at the bottom of the stone. They set it down. 
And there's this kind of, you know, we see the kind of wider shots of the cemetery. It's a huge cemetery. We see this in the scene where Tuco's kind of just running around, like you mentioned the music playing, and he's searching for like the name on the grave when he first gets there before everyone. But we see this vast expanse of, you know, the tombstones. But then in the middle, there's this kind of circular area that's kind of cleared. So it's almost like this big circle of tombstones around this round circular area in in the middle. It reminds me a lot of the final shootout at the end of for a few yeah, hours more. Yeah, because it's that like circular space. And yep. uh, in this case, there's a three of them. So one at, you know, not, not each corner because it's a circle, but <laughs> you yeah. can kind of imagine at their various points apart from each other. And I will say, I mean, going from for a few dollars more where it's a face-off of two guys to all of a sudden there's three. I mean, like... How can we outdo the last one? Oh, add a third person. It works. <laughs> yeah, it, it works very well. So. Yeah, and this is the part where you also have the music coming in hard, and it's that ecstasy of gold. That's also, you know, probably the you know most memorable track right after the actual just plain theme song to this movie, um, with and, like the operatic singer in the background. And obviously, you like Clint at this point, and Tuco, you've grown to like because he's kind of been. I mean, he hasn't really been that scummy. Yeah, like he's a bandit, but he's pretty like upfront. Like this is who he is, you know. Yeah, and but obviously Van Cleef is the bad guy here. Like that's pretty clear cut. But so basically, it's like, how is this going to turn out? That how how are you going to satisfy the audience at the scene? But I turned the movie off because I figured there's no way for him to satisfy. my expectations so hmm. I, I guess you have to tell me what happened next well there's a very long drawn out sequence um before there's any actual shooting or whatever but i mean it's beautiful it's like you get these cl- very close-up zoomed in shots of each of the characters faces uh the music's building in the background and you get a close-up to like their waist or their gun holsters you know and they're kind of at the ready ready to pull their guns when the moment is right um, so it's cut to this face, this face, this face, this, you know, gun, 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 or, or hips or whatever, um, with the music crescendoing. And it's this really incredible moment before uh, the time comes where they actually draw their guns and shoot. And when that happens, it actually happens really quick. And then it's over right. after this big, long buildup. But um, basically, I believe, yeah, Clint, you know, he's the fastest and he draws mm-hmm. and he shoots Van Cleef. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he takes Van Cleef right out. And then presumably Tuco also took a shot at, at some at one of them, but we find out that Tuco's gun is actually not loaded because mm-hmm. Clint had unloaded it the night before when when they were still comrades and camping out together. Um, so that's why Clint knew to shoot Van Cleef because he knew Tuco didn't have any ammo, so he wasn't a threat. And and, and Van Cleef kind of falls in there an open grave. Yeah, it's and, perfect. The and, grave they just dug. <laughs> Clint, Clint goes over and finishes him off with another shot and Van Cleef kind of rolls in. Mm -hmm. And then um, at this point, Tuco doesn't know his gun's empty. Uh, And well, he knows now, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, after uh, he shot it and nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. And Clint is still just like taking shots towards Van Cleef, you know, just sort of around like emptying his gun out a little. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that that's when he finds out that, I emptied your gun the night before. Yeah. And and then he grabs a stone. There's and nothing on it. <laughs> there's nothing on it because the grave is also marked 
with nothing. There's nothing right. on the grave. So when he so. said it was Archibald, Archibald or whoever's grave, mm-hmm. that it was partially true in terms of the information he had, but the, was, the dying it, guy told him it's actually buried in the unknown grave next to Archibald, such and such. Yep. Yeah, so he has to go dig up the grave. It's the right one this time. They find the money. Um, yeah, it's like four big bags of money, and they, they stick a shovel through one, so it splits open, and you see, like, yeah, there's there's gold coins in there. Uh, but Clint keeps up his end of the bargain. You know, he takes two of the bags or whatever and saddles them over his horse. There's like one horse out there. Um, I forget who rode it on it, but so there's the one. Clint's taking it. He's loading up his gold, and then he leaves two bags for Tuco, right? Mm-hmm. And but then, <laughs> yes, he he also leaves something else for Tuco. Mm-hmm. So, so he he leaves them a noose again, uh, and reference. he tells them like, yeah. Put this Put on. Yep. <laughs> yep. Now I'm trying to remember how does is is he standing on the bags of money to get up that high? I think he has him standing up on like a grave or a couple of graves, but it's like okay. kind of it's kind of shaky. Like he can't be hanging yeah. out there forever. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's got him set up with this noose, and Tuco's kind of like, "Hey, what are you doing, man?" Blah blah. But mm-hmm. Clint does leave the, the two bags of gold at under his feet, you know, when he's strung up in this noose. And Clint takes off on his horse and he rides away and he rides like far away. I think at one point, you know, there's a wide shot of the hillside or whatever it is. And you don't even see him and you're kind of like, oh, is he, he gone? He's just going to leave him hanging there. But then you see him like yes. come back into the frame. And from very far, he's, you know, aiming his gun or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so he, he shoots him down, right? From very far yeah. away. Yeah, and Tuco um, la- lands like face first in his money. Yeah, but he's basically left there with his two bags of gold and, you know, narrowly escaping death again, thanks to Clint's mm-hmm. compassion and him being a good shot. But uh, he's, he you know, he has no horse or anything. Like, he's just kind of left out there and with his hands tied up, this broken noose around his neck. Um, and Clint rides away. <laughs> But as an audience, too, you're like, oh, crap, because it's the morality of the West is, mm-hmm. in these movies is so questionable. It's that... like kind of a dick move, but also like he did spare his life and he did leave him yes. his half of the money. Yeah, but it but it also is like, oh, man, he's going to have him hang this time for real mm-hmm. because, you know, he's a risk to him. And Tuco kept coming after him and, and also... I was say, it almost wouldn't feel unjustified after what he put him through in the desert. Exactly. But at this point, I guess they're sort of him saying they're even. Yeah, I mean, I think that's still an act of compassion, that he doesn't take the full oh, vengeance. Totally. And, oh, totally. Know. Oh, totally. But yeah, and Clint rides away. Mm-hmm. And tu- Tuco's good Yeah, to go. Um, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, why don't you tell us what we have coming up next week? <laughs> so, uh, I'm glad you asked. Next <laughs> week, we have one of my personal favorites, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors from 1987, mm-hmm. directed, directed by Chuck Russell. Mm. Um, and this is the one that I think really put Freddy on the map. I'm excited. excited. I really like Nightmare Nightmare 3. Yes, I I do too. Um, Like I've said before, I had to, it's hard to not binge these movies, but honestly, I was really excited to see Good, the Bad, the Ugly. I'm so glad you liked it. (laughs) So I don't think I've made you give ratings or even been thoughtful enough to ask (laughs) at this point. I mean, my ratings are up on Letterboxd. Oh, this brings me to another point. 
Kevin. Yes. What's your point? A very serious Yoli. point that yeah. I've, I've been meaning to, to bring up. I feel we need <laughs> we need to talk about this at this stage in our relationship. We've been doing this podcast yes. for a few weeks now. It's it been is, six months. And I, I think it is time that you followed me back on Letterboxd. Are you, are you, <laughs> I think it's time. Are you kidding me? And then you will be privy to all of my star ratings at the very least. That's impossible. That's impossible. <laughs> I, man. I Yeah, we're like two years plus in of knowing each other, too. I can't believe I'm not following you. That's, that's amazing. Well, I honestly would be doing you a favor if I told you, <laughs> you, you not to follow me <laughs> because it's, it's a source of a lot of rage for a lot of people. Um, let's see. No, yeah, I just, I thought it was funny and I, I was picking my moment to bring it up and this was, this oh, was wow. perfect. I, I'm not going to follow you I, <laughs> because I think it's funnier if I continue to not follow you. So we do have, I, oh, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Let's see if I remember to follow you. Tune in next week to see if I follow you. The chilling conclusion of this saga. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we have another important order of business to talk about tonight. Oh, yeah. We have an email. So if any listeners out there in Freddy's Spaghetti Land want to send us a note or send us feedback of any kind, they can do so by emailing us at spafreddypod at gmail.com. That's S-P-A-F-R-E-D-D-Y-P-O-D at gmail.com, all lowercase, no spaces. We'll have it up in the show notes as well. Uh, but there you go. And we'll have an upcoming mailbag episode at some point with our one email. <laughs> uh, I'll, I will mail us. <laughs> so we thought that Spaghetti and Freddy, the podcast about Nightmare on Elm Street and Spaghetti Westerns at gmail.com might be too difficult to spell. So. Well, Cablasto thought none of you lovely listeners would be able to spell spaghetti. And I was like, that, no, people are really smart. They're great at spelling. And Kev oh. was like, no, no. <laughs> so he said, we better not write out spaghetti so people it, don't get it, messed up. <laughs> and and then you said, you specifically called out by name, like three or four people that we both know. And you said, <laughs> no, I, I, didn't. Don't think, I don't think those people, I will not <laughs> say their names, but they know who they are. I don't think that these hosts of other podcasts can spell spaghetti. So I think that's a great idea. So Freddie went to the spa. Uh-huh. And, uh, spa Freddie Pod. We shortened that name. So, so yeah, we'll just wait for the hate <laughs> mail to roll in. Oh, yeah, bring it. Well, we did it. Spaghetti and Freddy podcast is hosted by Kevin Cablasto and Yoli Zena. Our theme music is composed and performed by Corey McGregor. This episode was edited by Yoli. You can send us feedback at spafreddypod at gmail.com. Ciao for now.
I love Van Cleef. <laughs>